Amen. Good morning, everybody. What a weird summer, eh? Both in weather and people and culturally. It is strange times that we're living in. Um, if you guys are new with us, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, we're just welcome you guys to Anthem Coeur d'Alene this morning. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you pull them out and turn to Matthew chapter 7 with me. This morning we're going to be talking, continuing our study through the book of Matthew, specifically in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be talking about prayer this morning, more specifically asking, seeking, and knocking as Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. So let's pray and then uh, let's get started. Jesus, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we thank you for just the amazing, amazing weather, the setting that you've placed us in. God, what an awesome area we get to call home, uh, an area that many come to vacation in, and we get to live here, and I'm just so grateful, God. I pray that your spirit would come this morning. We ask, Jesus, that you would just infiltrate hearts in this room. Lord, we pray that you take your word and you'd use it as seeds to plant seeds in our hearts that would spring up and produce life, Lord, that our lives would bear fruit and that we would be these cities on a hill, Lord, these bright shining lights for you. I just pray this morning, God, no matter where we come from, no matter what's going on in our life, that this morning we just um, sense your peace and your rest upon us this morning as we dig into your word. I pray for some of us that you challenge us, some of us you'd encourage us, Lord, and for all of us that we would just leave here uh, changed in your name. Amen. Uh, so Matthew chapter 7, we're going to specifically be in verses 7 through 11 this morning. If you guys want to turn there. With regards to prayer, uh, prayer is one of the most beautiful and perplexing practices of the Christian life. And I think that all of us in this room have sort of stories that, where we've encountered a difficult situation in our life or there was something that we wanted and so we turned to God and it was like God became this knight in shining armor of sorts and he rescued us from the dilemma from that moment, that thing that was going on in our life. And our hearts begin to be stirred with passion towards him, and we get excited about prayer. Um, in some regards, I think that prayer can end up being like golf. Anybody in here play golf? Um, what happens when you shoot a bad game? You don't ever want to play golf again, right? But what happens when you get one good hole? You want to keep going back for more, right? And so prayer, sometimes it's like if we continue to throw prayers out to God, there's a chance that we can get to a place in our life where we feel like, God's not answering my prayers. I don't want to pray anymore. Or maybe you've had one prayer answered and it becomes like this thing that continues to get you coming back for more. But Heather and I, specifically in our lives, um, there's been many, many prayers that we've prayed, like specific prayers, that we've literally watched God answer these prayers overnight in the exact way that we prayed them. And I think that some people could see these as simply some sort of coincidence but since we believe that God reigns over everything in life, I see them as an answer to prayers, like God's kind of touch, um, the ways he speaks to us, these fulfilled prayers. But we prayed, God answered, and it's really awesome when that happens, isn't it? How many of you guys have ever had God answer some sort of prayer in your life? But then there's this darker side to prayer. And it's a side that we don't like to talk a lot about. You hardly ever hear stories about it, especially in sermons. Um, you just don't hear people talk about the darker side of it, this dark side of prayer. I'm pretty sure that at some point in our life we've all experienced it, though. I think we've all had moments in our life where we have encountered a situation where we got down on our knees and we're praying as hard as we could. And 
in our finite minds, like we could see no reason why it would not go the way that we were praying. Like it just made sense that God would pull through and answer our prayers. I mean, surely God wants my marriage to be reconciled. Surely God wants my child to not be sick. Surely God wants me to get this job. Surely God wants my business to be held together. Surely God wants this and he's gonna answer that prayer, whatever it is. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and then it seems as though there are times when God just goes completely silent. Like there's no phone call. Like as soon as you walk in the door after praying the prayer, in fact, in some cases, as soon as you say amen to the end of that prayer, it seemed like the situation in fact got worse. Anybody ever been there before? It seems like it just got gnarlier. And you end up thinking to yourself like, God, what in the world are you doing? I prayed a specific way for a specific thing. You either didn't meet me or you didn't meet my prayer match my request the way that I asked it. I think everybody in this room, if we were to be radically honest this morning, we've had times praying where it felt exactly like this. And I believe that for many of us, it's our encounters with this so-called kind of darker side of prayer that has made us lose our confidence in the power of prayer, prayer altogether. Maybe there's some of you in the room this morning that you feel like the heavens sort of seem to be silent, that God has kind of went silent on you. And because of that, you've actually given up praying altogether. It's just not even worth it to do it because I've continued to come to him with this request and I've continued to hear nothing back from him. So where does the conviction and the persistence uh, come from? To continue praying even when you go through these darker seasons, these dark moments in your life. Where does the conviction come from to continue praying? I mean, it's really, really easy for us to pray when you pray and you get an immediate response from God, isn't it? But where does the conviction come to pray, to continue praying, when everything seems silent? And the passage that we're in this morning seems like kind of an odd place to look for this answer, but I truly believe it's there. And I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Matthew 7 verse 7 to 11, and we'll continue studying through the book of Matthew, um, and we're ending the near, uh, the, the end, nearing the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we've been in for the last few months. And Jesus says this in verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How many of you have heard that passage before? Most of us have heard that passage. We've read it and reread it. And as I said before, it might seem like an odd place to find this answer because it seems so positive with regards to prayer. I mean, look at verse eight again. It says, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Last week we talked about judgment, and I mentioned the fact that, you know, it's one verse in the Bible that everybody has memorized, whether they're believers or not, and it's the verse that gets held against Christians. Um, this also is another passage where I feel like the church has sort of hijacked this passage and used it for all kinds of manipulative ways to treat God as sort of like this cosmic vending machine. But Jesus says, for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, to the one who knocks, it will be open. What an amazing promise that, that he gives us. Jesus says, everyone, everyone who asks, not just some people, but everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, 
what happens? You're with me. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, what happens? The door is open to them. What an amazing statement about prayer that Jesus is making. For those of us who are here this morning who are experiencing the sort of darker side of prayer in our lives right now, you might think that it sounds a little bit superficial. You might feel like it even sounds a little bit insincere. It might seem at first like Jesus is literally just rubbing salt in your wounds because you've done that and you haven't heard anything from him or you haven't received the response that you wanted. But I honestly think the closer we look at this passage, we'll see that Jesus is teaching his followers two really important lessons. That, that, that will give us the conviction that we need to continue praying even when things get tough. Two really important lessons that I think if we learn them, it, it, I, I believe we will have the conviction that will sustain us in prayer, even in the darkest seasons of our life. So where does this conviction come from? To continue praying in these dark moments of life. And the first lesson that Jesus teaches his followers in this passage is that they should expect, at times, for prayer to be more of a wrestling than a conversation. The first lesson that, that Jesus teaches his followers in this passage is that they should actually expect prayer to be a struggle, for it to be difficult at times, for it to be hard at times. Notice the three words that Jesus uses in seven and eight to describe prayer. He says what? Ask, seek, and knock. Now, most of us, when we read those words, the, these really simple words, ask, seek, knock, we immediately skip over them because we've heard them. We're so familiar with this passage. And so we actually miss the significance behind the words that Jesus is using. I want you guys to circle them in your Bible. Like, do something to memorize these words. Ask, seek, and knock. Because I think that Jesus uses these three words to describe three different levels of prayer, three different kinds of prayer of sorts. The first one is this. He says to ask. This is the most basic of prayers, where, where we come before God, like in like it says in Philippians chapter four, we present our requests to him. This is a request, it's an ask. And this is something that we do every single day. We should come before God and we present our requests to him. But look at the second word then, he says, is seek. And if you notice that word, it actually implies some sort of urgency. It kind of has some intensity behind it. It implies that there's something lost that you, in fact, are going after. It implies some sort of a struggle and a wrestling. In fact, you will find the word seek all over the New Testament. And it has this sort of connotation in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, where the Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So seeking involves urgency. It's like an intensity. It involves this ongoing struggle. But I think that the, the third level goes even deeper even greater, and, and that's to knock, is what Jesus is saying. The word knock implies that you're sort of stuck in a situation where you're asking God to open the door and let you out. You're banging on the doors of heaven and crying out for him to open a way so that you can begin to move forward. And I think that, that Jesus intentionally uses these three words, ask, seek, knock, because he's saying that prayer is not just some one-dimensional thing. It won't be the same all of the time. There will be different levels of intensity to our praying. Sometimes it's like God's in the room and you're just laying your request before him and he's right there with you. I don't know if you've had those moments before, but there's times when it just literally feels like you can sense God's presence with you while you're praying. Have you ever felt that before? It feels so real. But then there's these other times when it seems like God is so distant from us. 
it seems like he's a million miles away. And like David says in Psalm 10, he says, you cry out to God. And he says, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And you see, I think the problem is this, that we expect that prayer will only be at the asking phase. Like, that's all we've learned, is to present requests, that it's just at the asking. And so when things get difficult and God seems a little bit silent, we just give up and we give in, we retreat. But maybe it's at this point that God wants us to start seeking, and maybe he even wants us to begin knocking. And I think that the thing that gives us the conviction to persist in our prayer, to stay the course, even in the darkest moments, comes from learning this lesson from Jesus. It comes from having the right expectation regarding prayer. Yes, there will be moments when God seems to be right there in the room with you. Most of us, some of us have had those moments when he seems to be right there, when his presence is surrounding you, but there are times when he seems like he's a million miles away. And prayer will be a wrestle, it'll be a struggle, and maybe some of you are dealing with that today. For those of you that are dealing with that today, you find yourself at that season in life, I just wanna say to you that you're not in the wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. You should expect that that's how it's gonna be sometimes. There's silence at times. Sometimes it's asking, sometimes for us it's seeking, sometimes it's knocking, and I think one of the problems that we have when it comes to prayer is that we have a very mechanical view of prayer. Most of you have probably heard this analogy before, but we tend to view God like a vending machine where we put in our request, we press the button, and we expect the answer to sort of fall down to the bottom of the machine. And so even the way we record our prayer requests can sometimes feed into this mechanical perspective of prayer. Uh, right down to, I don't know if any of you jot your prayers down, but sometimes people will write like the date and then the prayer request. And then the third column is like waiting for God to fulfill the prayer. And so we've sort of got this mechanical approach. And I'm not against that, by the way. I've actually found a lot of value in my own life, even in recent months, um, filing prayers away, making notes on the app in my phone, and I've written down things that some of you have asked me to pray for, and I've continued to take those before the Lord. I, I've written down some of your names as the Lord brings you to my mind so that I can continue to pray for you. I've written down future things that I feel like the Lord has asked me to seek him about and pray through, and, I, and so I've, I have those notes, and I have those columns myself, but I think that if we are not careful we fall into this trap of thinking about prayer in a really mechanical way. God becomes the vending machine. We insert our requests. We push the button. He drops the answer. We take it, and we move on with our life. But what happens when you put money into a vending machine and you don't get what you've ordered? What do you do? Like, if you're anything like me, you grab the machine, and you start to shake it. And then when it doesn't come out, you start to pound it. And you start to get frustrated, and it's like, I just need it to come out. And what happens when it doesn't come out, and you've shaken it, and you've yelled, and you've pounded it? What happens when what you put money in there to get did not come out? You end up walking away and just saying, fine, keep my 50 cents or my dollar. Like, I'm done. And so we walk away from it. Eventually, we get frustrated. 
And I wonder whether some people here today who have become frustrated with God and you've walked away, maybe it's because you have this mechanical view of prayer. You see, prayer is not mechanical. God actually intended for it to be deeply relational. Prayer is about communing with a living person. It's about talking to our Father who loves us, who, who knows everything about us, our Father who knit us together in our mother's room. We all have a desire in us to be known and to be seen. And I'll, I'll be honest, like one of the struggles I've had throughout my life, like can't chalk it up to my personality or whatever, is just often feeling misunderstood and not seen. Does anybody else ever have that problem? Is it just me? Okay. Yesterday I had this amazing experience where I literally had somebody grab me, like I, I, they didn't grab me, but like stop me. And they just said, I just want you to know I really appreciate like the way you've navigated the season as a pastor in the church. Like I know this has been really hard for you. I know like how heart-wrenching this is to see people on different sides fighting over things and you're trying to find the happy medium between it all and keep people keep the peace. And for me, for somebody who feels often misunderstood and not seen, there was something about that moment it was miraculous. It was like, I feel seen. And something about Jesus' life was about seeing people, that they were known, that you are known and you are seen. And there's something about prayer that when we draw near to God in prayer, that, that we are seen and we are known. You aren't just a pawn on the board. You aren't just like some speck on the earth. You aren't just part of his game. You are actually a human being that he created with intentionality and purpose and he crafted every part of you and he wants to know you so deeply. He wants to feel what you feel. He wants to know what you're going through. He wants your struggles to be laid out bare before him. He's this father who, who perceives our thoughts from afar, who knows our lying down, who knows our coming and our going. You see, like any relationship, there will be times of joy and happiness and closeness, but there will also be times of distance and struggle and wrestle. And you need to expect that that's gonna be the case. In fact, if you're gonna persist in prayer, even in the darker moments of your life, you need to know that this is how it's gonna be. And guess what? God is big enough to handle your honesty. He can handle it. One of the things that I love about the Psalms, like Heather and I have been working with the Stolbargers, reading, writing a commentary on the Psalms once a week for the last three years. So we're in our third go through the whole, through the book of Psalms. And one of the things that I've grown to love about the Psalms that's so rich is just this real honesty with God that the Psalmists have. Like, it's just real. David and the, the other psalmists are, are so honest about their emotions and their feelings with God, and I believe that we can be the same way as well. I, I'll never forget reading about this pastor one time who'd been through this period of real struggle in his life, had a real difficult season, maybe like even some of you are feeling today. And he felt like God was a million miles from him, and so he turned to God in the midst of his struggle, and he cried out to God, God, I'm finding it so hard to believe in you right now. In fact, God, I'm finding it hard to even believe that you exist. And he talked about this moment where like, it was as though the minute that those words came out of your mouth, ironically, like saying that out loud, it was like he, in that moment, he felt the presence of God like never before. 
he like felt God surround him. And it was like God was just waiting and wanting him to be honest. There's something about us bearing our souls to him in that communion with him that just is so sweet. So sweet. So where does this conviction come from to continue praying in these darker moments? And I think that teach, Jesus teaches us to expect that, expect that prayer is going to be a wrestle at times. I think that if you're going to persist in prayer, even in the darker moments of life, then you need to know that that's how it is. And prayer is not only about asking, but it's about seeking. Prayer is about knocking. And there's another lesson that Jesus teaches in this passage that sort of gives us this conviction as well. The second lesson that Jesus teaches us is that we need to trust in the goodness of our Father. Amen? That, that if we're going to persist in prayer, even in our darker times, even when you feel as though he's gone silent, not only do we need to expect that prayer is going to be a struggle at times, but we need to trust in the goodness of our dad. In verses 7 and 8, maybe you didn't see this, but Jesus promises six times that God's going to answer our prayers. First he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then in verse 8 he reiterates that. He says, for everyone who asks, they receive. For the one who seeks, they will find. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened to them. And so Jesus is emphasizing that God is in fact, answer, he in fact answers prayers. But what does Jesus ground the promise of answered prayer in? Verses 9 through 11, he grounds this promise of answered prayer in the character of God himself. Mainly the goodness of God. It's one thing for somebody to make a promise, but listen to this, a promise that, that, that is only as good as the character of the person making the promise is, is what we're hopeful for. Like we're coming up on the season with elections and whatnot coming up in November where you've got these politicians making all sorts of promises to us. Some of them, not all of them, fortunately, but with some of them, you come to expect that their promises are just shallow. And why do we expect that from them? Why do we expect that they won't deliver on the things that they're saying? Because we know their character. We know their track record. We know their history. They've never followed through on their promise. This is not the God we serve. But God makes this unbelievable promise that he will actually hear our prayers. He will hear our asking, our seeking, our knocking, not only will he hear them, but that he will answer them. And Jesus says that the reason that this is the case is because he's actually a good father. So in verses 9 through 11, Jesus says three things about the goodness of our father in heaven that, that I think should give us some sort of concept, confidence to trust him. First, Jesus says, because God's a good father, he will not deceive us. Look down in verse 9 and 10 again. Jesus says, or which one of you if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Um, William Barclay, the famous commentator, said this about this passage. He said, the Greeks had their stories about the gods who answered men's prayers. But the answer was an answer with a barb in it. Listen to this. A double-edged gift. Aurora, the goddess of the dawn, fell in love with Tithonus, a mortal youth. So the Greek story went on. Zeus, the king of the gods, offered her any gift that she might choose for her mortal lover. Aurora very naturally chose that Tithonus might live forever. But she'd forgotten to ask that Tithonus might remain forever young. And so Tithonus grew older and older and older 
and could never die, and the gift actually became a curse. And Jesus is saying that our Father's not like that. There's no barb. And I want you to understand this because most Christians don't get that our Father's not like this. He's not deceptive. He's not sneaky. If you ask him for a piece of bread, you're not going to bite down and find that you're chewing on a piece of stone. If you ask him for a piece of fish and you put the fish in the frying pan, it's not going to come up and bite you on the hand because it's actually a snake. God's a good father. He won't deceive us. And yet, what I found is that while many Christians sort of look down on the ancient Greeks and their understandings of God and all this crazy world that they, the culture that they were in, um, we end up looking down on them because of their beliefs and because of their perspectives with God, while we ourselves, I think, misunderstand the character of God. I grew up in church. I've been around it. I can honestly say that as a young person, early on in my faith journey with Jesus, I had this deceptive, sneaky, out-to-get-you sort of concept of God. That there was a barb to every good thing that he did. Like, he doesn't just do good things. There's like, he does good things, and then there's a catch. And so when I was younger, I remember hearing Christians say things like, and I even heard this in Bible college, actually. I remember hearing people say things like, don't ever say to God that you don't want to do something, because guess what? He'll make you do it. Or, um... I can remember early on in my faith journey with Jesus struggling to pray to God for future direction because God only sends you to the places you don't want to go. And so I don't want to share my soul with Jesus because if he knows where I don't want to go, that's where Jesus is going to send me because that's just what God does. Or hearing Christians say like, don't ever say, God, you can't have my children because if you say that, guess what God's going to do? He's going to take them from you. Or don't ever say, God, I want to drive a nice car because you'll end up driving like an AMC gremlin for all of eternity, you know? Like, he just, somehow there's a hook all the time. That, and, and so as a teenager, I can remember the fear that was instilled by hearing comments like this. And, and it leaving young people growing up fearing that they would say the wrong thing and God would just make their life miserable because that's what God does. Did anybody in here, like, grow up hearing any of this stuff? Whether it was joking or not, like... We grew up thinking that God's sneaky, that God's deceptive, that God's out to get us, that every gift has a little barb in it, and it can't actually be good. You ask for a loaf, you get a stone. That's just what God does. You ask for a fish, you get bitten because it's a snake. Like, that's just what God does. And Jesus is saying that God is not like that. People, he's a good father. He's a good father. He won't deceive you. And we've all had this funny misconception of God, and I don't know where the heck this came from. Maybe for some of us, maybe it's just our fallenness. Maybe it's our sin nature, but we have this concept of God like he's out to get us and he's sneaky, and so you don't ever pray for patience because why? Because then you get trials. Sneaky God, he's out to get us. And that's not what he's saying about God. Actually, the contrary of this. Saying he's a good father. He's a good father. Now, having said that, he won't deceive us because he's a good father, but there are often times where God refuses our requests, aren't there? He won't give you a stone if you ask for bread. He won't give you a snake if you ask for a fish. 
But what happens in life if you're asking for a stone? What happens in life if you're asking for a snake? What if you ask for things that are not good for you and are actually going to end up killing you because he is a good father. He may refuse you the thing that he knows is damaging to you in the long term. And aren't you glad that through your, if you've lived any years on this earth, I go back to like 19 or 20 years old, and I think like I am so grateful that God hasn't answered all my prayer requests. I prayed for some really dumb things at 19. James says in James 4 too that you do not have because you do not ask. And then he goes on to say this in the same breath. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So God's not gonna give us things that will establish us in our own idolatry. Like he's not interested in us wasting ourselves away, giving us the things that we just want. He's not gonna say yes to the things that will make us a friend with the world and an enemy to God. That's just not in his character. So sometimes God says no because the thing that we're asking for will actually not be helpful for us. But there's something even, even deeper than this and there's something that I know many of us have struggled with. Sometimes he will say no and the thing that we're asking for is not evil but it's because he wants to give us something better. And when I think of a really clear example about this in the scriptures, I think of God saying no to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Like Paul has this thorn in his flesh. He calls it the messenger of Satan that was sent to harass him. And we don't know exactly what the thorn was. It could have been like a physical affliction. It could have been some sort of temptation. But it was something that literally assaulted Paul's soul. Like it was made his life miserable. And it says in 2 Corinthians 12 that Paul pleaded with God three times for him to remove it. Three times Paul asked. And he saw it. He knocked. But what did God say? God said no. God, in fact, said to him this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so God refused him of his request. God didn't take away the thorn, and it was because he wanted to give him something greater. He wanted to teach him about the sufficiency of his own grace. Our God is a good father. He won't deceive us. Sometimes he may refuse our requests. He may say no because he actually knows what's best for us. However, even though he will not deceive us, and even though he may refuse us, the third thing that Jesus teaches us about the goodness of our Father is that because he's a good father, we can be assured that he gives us good gifts. If you look at verse 11, Jesus sort of uses an argument from lesser to greater. He says this, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If, if human fathers whose nature has been corrupted by the fall are able to give good gifts to their children and lavish good gifts upon them, then how much greater is God, our heavenly father, who has a perfect nature and is able to give good gifts to his children who ask him? But sometimes we need to recognize that his good gifts don't seem all that good to us. And it's only later that we come to recognize that God did indeed answer our prayer and he gave us a good gift. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the, uh, the name John Newton. Anybody ever heard of that name? The guy who wrote the song Amazing Grace. Uh, there's another song that he wrote, a lesser known hymn, uh, that I wanted to read to you guys this morning. And it's this, this hymn called, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. Has anybody ever heard this song before? 
It says this, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love in every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray and he I trust has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way he has almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yeah, more with his own, and more, more with his own hand he seemed, intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart and, made, and laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. And listen to this verse. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. What's the greatest gift that God could ever give you? The greatest gift is actually finding your all in him. That's it at the center of our lives. This is the greatest gift that God can give you, the gift of himself. Some of you sitting here this morning, you're in the midst of the season in your life or maybe you're just like questioning things, your faith. Maybe you've continued to make these requests, these asks of God. And I get that. Like, to be honest with you, as a pastor, 41 years old, I've been around the best and the worst of church in my 20-some years of being in full-time ministry. After things that my wife and I have experienced over the last couple years, there's some nights where I go, I have every excuse to walk away like everybody else. And yet my heart is tethered to the Lord. I can't do it. Like, I, I, I love him. Like, he's so good. And my heart is tethered to his goodness of knowing him as Father, not to whether or not he answered my requests in the way that I wanted them answered in my life. Charles Spurgeon said, when you cannot trace his hand, you can trust his heart. You can trust that he's a good, good father and he gives good gifts to his children and maybe the thing right now that doesn't seem like a gift to you, you'll look back on later and think, God, that was the thing that humbled me. That, that was the thing that made me see that your grace was sufficient for me. That was the thing that made me see that my whole life and my whole focus has been myself and really worshiping myself when all you wanted the whole time was for me to say, come to the table of delights, like drink from my cup, eat from my bread, be satisfied in me for I am good and I will satisfy your soul. So what will help you persist in prayer, what will give you the conviction in the midst of it? It's really easy for us to pray prayers when we see prayers answered quickly and easily. It's easy. But it's more difficult when you're in the midst of a situation in your life, when you're in the midst of the belly of the fish because you've been running away from God. And, and some of you are literally running from God right now. Like God's trying to get your attention 
And it's actually a gift that he's pursuing you. He's coming after you, reminding you this morning that he's a good father, that there's no barbs in his goodness. There's no barbs in the gifts that he wants to give you, that he's wanting you to actually come back to him, come back to him, to trust him. To, and I love in that hymn, that last line, these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy, thy all in me. God is a good father. May I remind you this morning that he's not out to deceive you, that he may refuse your request, that he knows what's best for you, but he will pour out good gifts on you, and his good gifts are intended for you to center your life around him. So stop running. Come back to your father. Ask, seek, knock. And I'll, I'll invite the worship team to come up if you guys want to stand with me. And anybody heard of Dallas Willard? Um, he wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And he said this, he said, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. And he ends with this. He says, it's time for the children of God to pray like children of God should, with passion and persistence, knowing that we are touching heaven and at the same time changing earth. prayer for you, Anthem, as I was preparing for this morning, was that God would stir up this persistence in prayer in us. Some of you have been shaking the vending machine, machine for a long time because God hasn't given you out of it what you wanted, and you're ready to cut bait and run. This morning, my prayer is that God's reminding you that he's good regardless of if you got out of the vending machine what you wanted. He's good. You can trust his character. You can trace his steps and know that he's always been good and he's always been for you. That he knows what's best for your life. That he knows your makeup. Everything about you. He knows exactly what to give you. My kids, when they were younger, they'd come to us all the time and they'd be like, can I have candy? No. Five minutes later, can I have candy? No. Can I have candy? No. Can I have candy? No. Sometimes you're like, yes, eat a bunch. You know, like, just gorge yourself on candy. Have it all, man. But most of the time you're setting limits for your kids. Because why? Like, we know what they need. Dude, you can't live on candy. Get something of substance in your stomach. And yet sometimes when we go to God and it's sort of like, in some weird way, the things we're requesting are like candy. Give me candy, give me candy. And God's like, no, no. I want you to have me, all of me. I want you to trust that I know what's best for you. Not that your asks are bad or your requests are bad, but he's more important than any request you can make. He wants to be your all in all. Let me pray with you. Jesus, 
I thank you for your goodness, God. I thank you even for the reminder for myself this morning that you're so good. You're so worthy of our adoration and our praise. You're so worthy of our worship, Jesus. And so often, our finite minds just get so distracted with the things that are going on right in front of us that we fail to lift our eyes and see the bigger picture. And I'm praying this morning for each of my friends in this room that your spirit invade their hearts. I'm praying this morning that there be this deep reminder within their souls that regardless of if they get out of you what they wanted, you are good and you love them. God, I pray that this morning, if there's anybody in this room that has just been running, that this morning might be the time when you're tugging on their heart and you're saying, come back, come back. I know you didn't get what you wanted, but I want to give you what you need. Jesus, we're grateful this morning for your goodness. Lord, I pray for your church that you would stir up in her this persistence in our prayer, God, as it seems like this world's going to hell in a handbasket. And uh, Jesus, yet we're so lost in the news and social media and everything going on around us that we fail to just get on our knees and humbly present these requests to you and say, Jesus, have your way, Lord. Come quickly, Jesus. And so I pray for your church that she be fired up, that she she be persistent, that she be stirred up for such a time as this to carry the banner and the torch of Jesus high in such a time as this, God. I pray that we be brighter than ever in the world that you've placed us in, that they, the others would see the love and the grace of Jesus. They would see the goodness and the character of God emanating through us, God. And so I pray for your anointing upon your church, that you be with us as we leave these four walls. We go back out into our lives, God, that we would carry the torch high. We'd fly the banner of Jesus. We'd be on our knees praying, Lord, that your kingdom come and your will be done and that we're okay with whatever it is you want to do. But Jesus, we want you to come quickly and have your way. Lord, bless your church and be with them as they go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.